Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Break the Cycle. This is a very special episode because it is our season two finale episode. And we have a very special guest. Please welcome Sofia Rosario. Hi Sofia, how are you? Hello! season finale (laughs) i'm so excited to have you um please please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself anything you're working on what you do just take it away sure well first of all thank you thank you for uh inviting me on thank you for having me here um my name is sofia rosario as you mentioned um i live in new york city i am um a young 30-something-year-old, and, um, you know, dealing with this pandemic, like so many other people, um, in, you know, back in April, I was furloughed, I lost my job, Um, I worked in the hospitality industry, I was managing and, um, as well as selling events, Um, so, you know, that that market just went really downhill with the the pandemic um and i found myself really just trying to kind of figure out what my next steps were figure out what to do um and not only that but really just trying to find myself um because i think that i placed such a big emphasis on my career in the past and i got a lot of my self-worth from my career i would say so i found myself in a position where I don't have a career, um, I don't really know what I'm going to do, um, you know, a relationship that I was in just ended and kind of a fresh, clear slate in front of me, and, uh, you know, all the time in the world um, to think, so a couple months into the pandemic, um, I took uh, a trip to the Dominican Republic, which is where my family's from, I'm Dominican. And um, the trip was only supposed to be five days. I was supposed to meet up a few girlfriends and, um, you know, do the beach thing. The girlfriends ended up not being able to join. I still ended up going out there by myself and enjoying, you know, five days in quiet and solitude, really loving it. Um, But that trip that was supposed to be five days ended up extending to be almost um, four and a half months long. I basically moved to the Dominican Republic. Um, which was not expected, but, um, you know, I was really fortunate and really blessed. I have a lot of family that lives out in the Dominican Republic right now. Um, my grandmother lives out there. I have aunts and uncles. My dad lives out there. So I was able to stay, um, kind of hop around a little bit and stay with different family and, and took that time to explore the island explore the culture, explore the people. Um, I had not really spent a lot of time in the Dominican Republic before this trip. Um, I don't know if you were one of those kids, Darlene, where your parents would send you to DR for the summer. Uh, I think you were born in... I wasn't. I was. I was born in DR, but I I always wanted to be one of those kids. Like, please, send me to DR. Like, let me struggle. Right! Like, you know what I mean? Like, eat the food struggle with the you know the 
the translations and, and all of that and, and kind of go through it, like, you know, rough it a little bit with your cousins out there. Like, mm-hmm. I wanted to have that experience, too. I wasn't able to do that. Um, although a lot of my, I do have several cousins that did do that for the summers and all of that. But, you know, I wasn't going out there for the summers. Um, I only visited a couple of times, you know, here or there, stay at a resort, here for a weekend, and, and you know, kind of that's it. So this was, like, my first real immersion into the Dominican Republic. And that was everything. That was everything. That was a turning point. That was a changing point. Um, So I spent a lot of time with family. I really got to know, um, you know, the the culture, a little bit more about my roots, a little bit more about my ancestors. Um, I got to explore the islands and and had a lot of fun. Um, But you know, another part of, of the trip, which was not expected and, and just kind of ended up happening this way, was this uh, outreach and charity that my family um, got involved in. And that's um, that kind of started a whole new journey of, of giving um, that, was, that was really beautiful. Um, so, you, you know, you've invited me here to speak on the project that... Um, that I've started, which is Project nice. Feeding, Feeding Family of 15. Um, and it's been really, really great and taking off so far. Yeah, please um, tell us more about the project. I love I love how you introduced it in terms of how you got involved and how it all seemed like it was a coincidental kind of thing, but then it was also meant to be like the way, the way I interpreted like the whole, um, like everything you just said about, you know, your friends couldn't make it and you ended up staying for four months. And it's like these things that you didn't expect to happen, but it led you to where you are. So please um, tell me a little bit more about the project and uh, why it means so much to you. Yeah, of course. Um, so the with the charity portion of the trip, um, how that began was my grandmother and my, my family, um, they have a tradition of buying you know a ton of groceries out there going to the local grocery store La Sirena um, buying dry essential foods uh, whether it's you know the usual rice beans oil spaghetti coffee um, things that you know you don't have to refrigerate and we would buy, let's say, um, enough for 20 families. So 20 sets of rice, 20 sets of oil, 20 sets of coffee. Um, we would package them up into individual bags, and we would just get in the car and basically just go on a road trip and, and head out to the neighborhoods that we know that were struggling, that, you know, that they knew that were struggling. They, my grandma and, and aunts and uncles know the, the country much more than, than I do, but... Um, you know, we would just basically stop in a neighborhood that we could tell um, was struggling, and we would just go door to door and knock on people's doors and say, hi, are you guys in need of groceries? And people were so, you know, welcoming, and oh my God, yes, and, and just so over the moon and, and, and pleased and happy and grateful. And we would go out and, you know, spend the day giving out groceries and, and talking to people and, um you know, so I would say that that was kind of like the start of it. Uh, we did that grocery, we did the grocery donation um, a few times, a handful of times. Um, and that's where we met 
um, the Guzman Solano family, which is the family that I'm working with now. Um, and we met them because on one of the first grocery runs, my grandmother uh, kept in contact with a mother of six kids. That mother really stood out because she was, um, she was bedridden. She was in a motorcycle accident. Um, her name is Alexandra. She was having complications from that accident. Sometimes the medical care is not always the best in the Dominican Republic. Um, so she kept in contact with her and, you know, a couple months passed by and we get word that the, the woman, the mom, um, Alexandra passed away. So my grandmother wanted to do another grocery run to check on the kids. The kids at this point, um, we heard had moved in with their father and their stepmother. Yeah. So we wanted yeah, but just, oh my God, such a sad story. Um, and I wasn't even fully invested at this point, you know. Um, but we went to go visit the family. I remember the, this trip that we went on um, was a day before I was supposed to leave the Dominican Republic. I didn't even, to be honest, I didn't even really want to go on, on the trip because I was like, I got to pack, I got to, I'm leaving in the morning, you know, blah, blah, And my grandma's like, no, 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 like, this is important, this is an important one, like, let's go see the kids. And so, of course, I, I went, I was happy to go, I didn't want to leave her alone. And we go to this uh, new home that we had not seen before. We meet the stepmom. And we meet the kids, the six kids from the, the mother that's uh, passed, passed along. Um, and we also meet the seven kids that the stepmom, Marlene, has. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're now all living together, the six kids from Alexandra, the six kids from um, Marlene, um, the, the kid's father. All of the kids have the same father. And they're all living in this... You know, really a shack, um, two-bedroom, if you can even really call it that, um, you know, dirt floors. Um, this house didn't have any of the normal comforts that you would think of, you know, that we take for granted. Comfortable beds, you know, rugs on the ground, yeah. uh, normal showers, normal plumbing. Like, this is not the scenario with, with this family and, and, and this home. Um, so we get there, we, we, we give them the groceries, um, the kids were all s sitting down to have lunch, right, in the DR, they're really prompt about having lunch at, like, 12 o'clock. Yes, yo, 12 on the dot, every day, <laughs> clothes, like, you better not be late, you better not be late with that lunch, I'll tell you that, I learned that the hard way. And you have to eat breakfast early, because they look at you so weird if you have breakfast, like, at 11.30, like... Yeah, 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 giving it out of the lunch, like, it's No, you're starting your day early there. You're starting your day early. You're eating, like you said, breakfast early, yeah. lunch is probably at noon. Mm -hmm. So they were eating their lunch, nice and prompt. Um, the kids, the kids all had a plate of food, thank God. They were all eating. They had rice and beans, you know, something hearty to stick to them. And, um, and they were all seated kind of in little makeshift, little dining room areas, so some one of the kids was, a couple of the kids were sitting on it, uh, eating off of a chair. Um, somebody was eating off of like at the top of a bucket. You know, they were all just kind of just trying to find places to sit and eat. But, um, but they were all seated, eating, like really well behaved. The older kids were helping some of the, the younger kids eat. And we spoke to the stepmom for a while. And 
just kind of found out more about them, um, about the, th the uh, 13 kids. And when the kids were done eating, we, we brought them some, a few bags of candy along with the groceries. So we gave them the candy and, and they were like so excited. They were giving us hugs. That's when they kind of started like interacting with us and yeah. got a bunch of photos with them. And, and they were just so grateful, so loving, so loving and needs. And I think it was in that moment of, like, really interacting with these people. I had been in their home for, you know, an hour at this point and speaking to the mom, seeing their struggle and seeing that despite their struggle, these kids are happy. These kids, um, you know, they're kids. They, they, don't, they don't know that they're actually, you know, maybe even going through such a hard time because they're, they're happy, they're joyful, they're kids. And... Um, you know, I think I think maybe it hit some of the some of the older kids. Um, there was the oldest of of the thirteen kids. Her name is Saidi. She's fourteen years old, and she really probably I would say left the biggest impact on me out of the entire family because she's fourteen years old. She knows what's going on. She knows that her mom passed. She knows the responsibility that she has now. You know, to look yeah. at brothers and sisters she is the main helper you know a lot falls on her shoulders and I felt for her and I could relate to her you know I'm thinking back to when I was and how carefree I was and how you know the things that I was concerned about like you know going to the mall going to the movies trying to be cute you know like yeah no I just before I, I'm so sorry to interrupt before um you continue because I think you, you bring up so many important things. I don't even know where to start, but I just wanted to ask first, where are these kids from? Like, what, what about you? Are they from the rural side? Just so the listeners can get also a better idea or, um, of where these kids are from and the conditions they live in. Yeah, they, um, they live in San Cristobal, but they're, they're like pretty deep in San Cristobal. Like, we had to kind of go down like a windy, you know, pathway, a uh, semillero, you know, basically, which is, a, you know, a little, a little side street that they're on. And the entire neighborhood, you can tell, is struggling. Yeah. Um, you can tell because of the, the condition that the, home, the homes are in. Um, you can tell by the, the appearance of the kids and, and, and the families that live there, you know, they are not as clean maybe as you see some families and kids in the United States that are blessed to have all of the fortunes that we have here. Um, and, you know, you can tell also by, like, like I said, the comforts of the home or, or the lack of comforts of the home. Um, so yeah, they're they're in San Cristobal, which is which is about I would say it's like an hour from the capital from where we were staying. Okay, and are they? Um, I I haven't been to San Cristobal yet. Are they? I know there are some campos, and I know there was like a more like urban side of it. I've heard. Um, are they in the campo side? Are they like on the road? Well, what here in the U.S. we call the road, or we call the campo. Like, are they more like on the campo side of things? I would say so. I would say so. There are, you know, some businesses close by, um, but not like main, you know, no big main strips. Um, it's not like they have easy, 
you know, easily available supermarkets and, you know, shopping malls like we're used to, pharmacies, you know, the normal stuff that we're used to having close by. They don't have any of that stuff close by. Yeah, yeah. Businesses, but it's it's definitely a rural. Yeah, campo, Mm -hmm, for sure. The reason the reason I ask is because um, I'm I'm gonna get her name. You said her name was Sarieli, the 14 year old girl. Saidi. No, just Saidi. Um, yeah, like, uh, uh, her story to me, it resonates with me because I know so many versions of Saidis in my own campo in Hima. And the truth is, and, and you talked about how, like, you at 14, you were careless. I mean, you know, and you could be. That was, that was like, that's what being 14 means. Same as me. I, sorry, carefree, not careless. Um, same as same as me because you know we have that luxury but in the campos in dr you know a lot of girls don't have that luxury they, they become caretakers right away and with with the tragedy that happened with her mother i can imagine already like now she has to grow up before she's even expected to did you get did you get a sense of that i did get a sense of that you know when when i first met saides you know, she was very serious. She was very stern. She didn't have a smile on her face like some of the, the younger kids did. You know, jumping around for joy with the candy. Like, she was kind of, like, keeping to herself a little bit. And I think that was probably some of, like, the protector coming out in her. You know? Kind of like, who are these people? Like, you know, they didn't know us. And, you know, just being cautious, I think, of the kids. So, I, I was already seeing some of that, you know, maturity in her. And, and just knowing that so much responsibility was going to have to be on her shoulders um you know that that breaks my heart and she's she warmed up with us she's she's a super sweet girl and getting to know a little bit more about you know what she enjoys and she likes to sing and you know she's really into her schoolwork and she's she's a smart you know beautiful young lady that uh that deserves all of the opportunities you know especially a good education and just like the basic necessities of having a a home that's you know decent and comfortable for them that they can um you know focus on other things like if you don't have the bare necessities you know shelter food water how can you focus on the next tier of necessities education you know empowering yourself and and you know moving into the world as an adult so for me it was it was just seeing the condition that they live in and knowing that that could potentially even hold back some of the kids you know god forbid but um there was that opportunity there i saw i saw a way that maybe we could help and uh and we left that visit and i couldn't stop thinking about saiz i couldn't stop thinking about the kids and the family and 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 the stepmom and you know, they were on my mind. So, um, you know, the next day I flew out, I flew back to New York after the four and a half month trip. And, um, and I was like, I kept thinking about those kids. They were on my mind. And, um, I posted a few photos of the kids. I took, um, the iPhones are great for photos, man. I, I, I love my iPhone for taking really good, like portrait photos. I, I took some great photos of the kids and I just, I posted a string of those photos on my Instagram story. And the last slide uh, just said, please let me know if you'd like to help. And I didn't even, I wasn't even expecting to write that. I don't even know where that came from. I didn't even know what I was expecting 
how I was expecting to help or who I was asking, you know, let me know. I don't even know where that came from, but I, I, it came um, and I posted that. Let me know if you'd like to help. And I started to receive a crazy amount of outpour of people, you know, wanting to help and saying, wow, how can we help? How can we help? This is, this is so sad. And, uh, and once I received that outreach, that was like affirmation telling me, okay, you now you really have to do something like how, how are we going to help? And then from there, that's where the, um, the GoFundMe came from, um, the name, you know, Project Feeding Family at 15, um, we started an Amazon wish list for them where people could buy items. Um, and we, you know, we're shipping things to the Dominican Republic. We're collecting money. And, and that's kind of where like this outreach project started, um, about a month ago. And, um, we set a goal of, of $5,000, which I thought was way too high. And I, you know, I was like, how are we going to get $5,000? That's, I don't know if that's attainable. Um, but I knew that I wanted to set a kind of a lofty goal to like really push myself to try to get that, that money from people and, and try to get donations. And, um, you know, about a little bit over a month into the project today, we stand with $3,150. Wow. Uh, congratulations. I just want to clap. I don't want to make sure you're in case you're wearing headphones. <laughs> Thank you. Amazing. Thanks. Um, just about girl, almost 60 people have donated. We have have received over 120 shares um, of the information. You know, several several people. So many people have donated um, off of the Amazon wish list. I've had people just on their own decide. Um, I'm sending, you know, I'm going to prepare two boxes and send it to DR apart from what you're doing specifically for this family. I've had people reach out, you know, in different states saying, you know, I'm gathering donations here. And, and it's, yeah. it's been amazing. It's been amazing. The outreach that, that people actually do want to help. And I think that there's something about the story and something about the kids and, and seeing the kids barefoot and seeing the kids, you know, in the living conditions and, it, it's I think it's it's just touching a lot of people yeah and I think even for me something that I mean as soon as I saw the, the, the GoFundMe I shared I think the first time me and you had a conversation but now that I really have heard the background of it for me it's also you know the potential of these kids and how sometimes these kids don't choose to be in these environments they don't choose to be living under these conditions they don't choose to be um basically born in these circumstances but it determine it, it can affect a lot it can affect their their whole life trajectory and i think one thing i will say about the dominican community and not not just the dominican community but for me like something that's meaningful about my culture my community is the fact that you know we we empathize we we mm -hmm. see ourselves and if we don't if we ourselves have an experience that we think of that fear Da abuela, da abuelo, that that, and we see them in, in this new generation. We're like, how can we pay it forward? How can we give back? You know, that's exactly it. One hundred percent. That's exactly it. Like I, you know, I think that um, I'm not far removed from having a life like that. I can easily, you know, like you said, envision 
empathize, envision myself in that situation. I'm a first generation born Dominican American. My parents were both born in DR. Everybody, you know, before them was obviously born in DR. And, um, you know, because of a few um, incredible life changes that my grandparents made to bring us to the United States, you know, I, I, I didn't have to live a life similar to this family, but, uh, but if I very easily could have, and I don't take that for granted, I don't take that for granted. It could be me. It could be my mom in that situation. God forbid it could have been a, you know, a family member. So, um, I think that the Dominican people are incredibly generous. Um, and if you ever ask a Dominican for a cup of rice, even even if they only have one cup of rice left, they're going to split that with you. Yeah, they're going to split it and say, well, we're going to make a pot and, and you can have, <laughs> have, you know, rice grows <laughs> and just like, and, and, and try to just be generous in that way. Absolutely. I always say that the DR is probably one of the few countries, a few places where, and this is something that we can't even say about the U.S., but where you can literally knock on your neighbor's door and say, like, I'm hungry. Like, I have no food. And they will feed you. They will feed you like you're their own. They will. They will give you the. You know, one of the best parts of, of the time, which which in DR is such a big deal. Like if you're there, one of the best <laughs> of, of the chicken. I was like, you're the guest of honor. <laughs> yes, yes, the breast, uh huh, or the mulo. Yeah. Oh, the mulo. Yeah, like if they give you the mulo. Listen, you are the guest of honor. They, they, you know. So, um. They'll feed you. They'll they'll shelter you. And even back then, you know, my mom tells stories all the time of people just showing up with nothing, and they would take care of them. You know, and I think it, it's it's something that is very big in our culture, and especially I think from a Dominican American point of view. I mean, I am Dominican in the sense that I was born in DR, but I've been Americanized. I came here when I was four, um, mm. whether I like it or not. I I've had the American experience as well, so. Um, you you do realize like what you mentioned that one piece of paper that visa that got you there whether it was through your dad through your grandpa through whoever that that changed your entire life and you you realize like I'm not better than any of these people I'm not more deserving it's 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 simply just life like it's simply just something as small as a paper that changed our whole outcome. So how can I even that scale, that very uneven scale? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's also important not to feel pity for these people, you know? Like, of course, it's their situation is sad, but if you ask them, like, they're fine, they're fine, they're making do, you know, they're going to keep trying to strive to move forward and, and to try to, you know, make a better life for their kids and... You know, the family that, that I talk to, like, they don't feel bad for themselves at all. They, I think that they see the blessings that they do have, which is these wonderful, beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the blessing that they do, you know, have a little bit of food to, to eat and share as a family. The blessing that even, even though it's small, they do have a shelter over their head. You know, even though they don't have beds, they have their health and they're all able to, you know, yeah, of course. So they 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 don't feel bad, you know. So I don't. I just want to make it clear, like, don't have pity on these people because they live a lesser quote unquote lesser life than we do. I don't yeah. think it's that case right. at all. You know, it's just about helping. Just about helping. Yeah, absolutely. In some cases, I would say they would even live a more fulfilling life because they tend to be. I feel like 
I've noticed just growing up, well, when I say growing up in Hima, like whenever I would go in the summers or in Decembers, you know, the, the people that I guess you would say had less than me in terms of resources, they tend to be more grateful than even like, you know, families here in the U.S. because like you said, they, they're, they're happier. They're like, they're, they're, they don't look at their situation as a situation that's pitiful, but a situation of like, you know what, we, we just have to keep working. We just, like you said, keep moving forward, keep hustling, keep, you know, stay, stay. and then like they find the, the small joys and everything. Like you said, how the kids got excited over candy, um, how Saidielis, Saidis. Saidis. I'm so sorry. Saidis. How Saidis loves to sing. So it's like they find the small joys and the things they enjoy. And, and I think that's uh, around the DR. You see that a lot. Whether it's, believe it or not, having lunch at 12 with your family and making some jokes or chilling on a Saturday night, drinking a Presidente, playing dominoes. You know what I mean? Yes. It's the simple things for sure. And, um, and then you never know when a miracle or a blessing is coming or an opportunity is coming. So for me, it's like you have to keep that faith. Yeah. Um, the family recently got a really beautiful opportunity, really great blessing, really great news. Um, and that is that the father of the kids, Solomon, he, um, by trade, he's a master uh, constructor, so he's you know has a lot of experience. He's very high up in the construction um, world in terms of his knowledge. And when jobs appear, you know he's he's able to help provide with the family. It's it's not like a you know he doesn't work for a steady company or anything uh, at the moment. Um, but he received an opportunity to work on a project. Um, and in exchange, have the opportunity to purchase a, a home, basically. So instead of his pay, it was kind of like a trade for this home. Now, this home is, is a bigger home than what the kids currently have right now and, and live in right now. Um, it's still unfinished. So, you know, the floors are not done. Um, they don't have, like, walls and and in the sense that you would see here in the United States, like it's still like the, you know, cinder blocks and whatnot. Um, so it's, it's the bones of a house, but it's a much bigger house, much bigger property for them. Um, much more comfortable in the sense that there's, they're going to have their own, you know, indoor bathrooms now, which, which was not something that they had in, in their current home. Um, so he was able to negotiate this, this place that they can move into. Of course, they still have to pay some money towards that. And um, and listen to this: the amount of money that they're missing to be able to move in is five thousand U.S. dollars, which is about wow. three hundred thousand pesos. Five thousand dollars is is the goal that I set up for the GoFundMe page. That's that's amazing. I feel like this was all meant to be. Like I I don't know. Like just you telling me this entire story and telling me how. Yeah, this is—it's like giving me chills. I, I feel like this, this—it's just a magical thing to hear, honestly, honestly. And I think you're doing such an amazing, like you're doing such an amazing job, not only at uplifting this family and amplifying, you know, their story and how people can help them, but yeah, like I just think you're doing great work. Um, 
can you please tell the listeners, anybody that is listening and is as moved as I am right now and wants to help, how they can help or how they can find you on Instagram to, to then find the GoFundMe? Like, how can they contribute to this? Absolutely. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm super moved. I cry all the time with this project. Like, I feel like every day I'm crying about some donation that we received or some great news about the family or like, you know, I'll speak to the kids and I, it's, it's really emotional. But um, if you would like to help, please, please um, follow. I made a page for the project. Um, and the page you can find on Instagram, which is, um, it's called feeding families underscore dr. So if you follow the feeding families um, underscore dr page, you can get some more information on um, on the GoFundMe. You can find the GoFundMe right there in the bio. Um, if you'd like to log on and, and donate anything, you can even five dollars, a dollar. You know, that's it's something. Um, the Amazon wish list is still up and running where we have some toiletry items. There's still a first aid kit that has not been purchased that I would really, really love to see um, make it to the family. Um, you know, and just some basics for the kids. There's a few fun things on there. Some, you know, Crayola products, some like some books for them, some like basic Legos and stuff like that. Um, but if you search feeding family of 15 on the Amazon, um, wish list you can you can pull that up and you can donate um, something there and um, if not you guys can find me directly on Instagram my Instagram um, is soph with the most um, <laughs> soph s h with the t h a most um, you guys can find me on Instagram and reach out and just you know, let me know you, that you want to get involved. Um, the timeline for the project is um, we're looking at about the middle or the end of April to fly out there to organize all of the goods that we've collected. Um, want to try to do some like individual bags, one little individual bag for each kid so that they have something like special that they can open, you know, individually. And um, along with all the other like household goods that we, we have for them and all of that. So, uh, so mid-April, we're going to go um, provide them with those items. And then, God willing, with the $5,000, they can, you know, finish with that purchase of the home. Um, and we can help them get settled and, and, and make the house a little bit more comfortable. So that's, that's the plan. And, you know, anything else? Thank you, thank you. Um, you know, five thousand is the limit, the bare bones limit uh, minimum that I would like to see. But anything over the five thousand, we're gonna buy the kids bunk beds because you know right now they have I think two like full size beds for all of them. Most of the kids are sleeping on the floor, so we want to get a couple of bunk beds going um, and and help them with you know some of the finishing for the houses for the house in terms of flooring and roofing, making sure that the roofing is nice and covered and the floor is, you know, set and ready to go. Again, bare minimums, we're not looking to, we can't upgrade these people like crazy just yet, you know, but um, just something to, to kind of make them a little bit more comfortable. So that's that's the plan. Yeah, yeah of course. And everyone, please, please, please make sure to follow Sophia's 
Um, if not so clear on Instagram, make sure to follow the Instagram for the GoFundMe. Um, I'm going to read it again, and please uh, correct me if I, if I got it wrong. Um, feeding families underscore DR. Is that, is that right? Perfect. Okay, so please make sure to follow that Instagram and click on the link. Um, or you can go on Amazon, on the Amazon wish list, and look up feeding families, uh, feeding family of 15, correct, mm-hmm. Sophia? Perfect. Or in the GoFundMe as well, right? You can just look that up and, and find it. Like sometimes in the page, you can, you can go on the search bar, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so please make sure to follow them on Instagram, donate anything you can, a little goes a long way, um, and share, even if, like, let's say this week, you're like, oh, I don't got it, I gotta wait for next week, even sharing it with your friends, sharing it with your family, with your tia on WhatsApp, it can make such a big difference. Thank you, thank you, yes, I appreciate that. Of course, thank thank you, thank you (laughs) for what you're doing, and... Um, I hope it continues, you know, I hope that, like, maybe right now it's just helping them get settled, but maybe in the future, you know, the community could get together again and help them, and, and help support them throughout all of this, you know what I mean? Amen. Hopefully this is just the beginning of a new start for the family. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is really so exciting. I wrote down something that, like, while you were talking about just, like, your story and you know, DR and living in DR, and I kind of wanted to um, to backtrack a little and talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Sure. I think that's okay with you. Um, so I guess um, we can start at the beginning. You know, you, you talked about losing your job and kind of, you know, having to figure out the next steps and how you were someone that really, put, like, prioritized your career, and in a way, I believe you said it, it gave you, like, a sense of value, which I think a lot of people... You know, I think that's just common in the U.S. Like, I think we allow, we're taught to measure our value through productivity and how successful we are, what we're doing in our career. Um, and, and, you know, due to the pandemic, a lot of people that did nothing to lose, like, to deserve losing their job found themselves kind of stuck and, you know, I guess if not second-guessing themselves, but just having the experience you had about, you know, like, what do I do now? Um, can you talk a little bit about how that felt, and also how, what, what do you think were the lessons you learned in that? Like, what kind of inner work did you have to do? Like, walk us through whatever inner work you had to do to get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm more than my career, and kind of get to know this new side of you, even though it was kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, good question. <clears throat> so, I would say pre-pandemic, I was a workaholic. Um, I was in an industry that praised you for, you know, working 70 hours a week, that um, made it the norm to work Saturdays and Sundays and holidays and and late nights and, you know, early mornings. Um, I did not really have a lot of time for myself. Um, what time I did have outside of my career, I, I felt like a lot of that time was going towards other people uh, and their commitments. You know, my family, I got to see my mom, I got to see my brothers, I got to catch up with my friends. I, I want to be a good, you know, partner and, and, and just feeling like I had to be there for so many other people. And, and then, of course, you know, my career, that didn't leave me with a lot of time for myself. 
Um, so with the closing, or sorry, with the starting of the pandemic and the closing of the industry, all of a sudden I had time, all of a sudden I had space, never had any of that um, for the last couple of years, I can say that with certainty. And I had time to myself and, and to kind of break down the facade of the career, the boss, you know, the leadership person that I, I was and was trying to be and kind of just get to the core of um, of who I wanted to be and, and exploring myself. So over the course of the pandemic, I was really able to get into some hobbies. Um, I, I didn't have time for hobbies before, so I really got into writing. Um, I was able to explore with the creative writing class um, online, which was a lot of fun and um, you know, kind of got into that a little bit. I was able to explore um, a little bit of my artistic side with just with trying to be a creator and, and kind of seeing where that takes me in terms of my writing and, and just like, you know, little art projects here and there. Um, I discovered my love for nature. Um, this was like during the warmer months of the pandemic, I was able to get outside. I'm fortunate I live close to Central Park, so I was able to really oh. park and explore myself with that. Like that was like a form of therapy for myself. Um, and at the time, uh, right before the pandemic, I started uh, going to therapy as well because I was feeling that burnout and because I was feeling, you know, that all the things that I mentioned before. Um, so that was a whole another layer of, of exploring really who I am and what I want to be and, uh, and and the person that I want to be. So it was it was time, it was space, it was exploration, it was confronting truths about myself that were sometimes difficult, you know, to hear. Um, and just kind of getting into being the person that I want to be and showing up as that person and reinventing myself. Um, outside of my career, you know, and it got to the point where I kind of decided, like, if I never go back to that career again, who am I? And is that person without a career valuable? You know, and the answer is absolutely, I am valuable. If I never work a day in, again in my life, you know, I'm, I'm divinely created and I'm here on this earth for a purpose outside of, you know, planning events <laughs> and managing, you know, weddings and events. So, um, so I would say that was one of my, my biggest takeaways was really just being able to explore myself and find that value and find that self-worth and, you know, breaking the cycle, um, of feeling like I always needed to be busy and breaking the cycle of, you know, I have to have this career and I have to reach this certain point by a certain time and I should have this title and, you know, kind of breaking all of that. Uh, breaking that mold and just being kind with myself and, and giving myself some grace to say like this is an intermediate period of my life and I'm figuring it out and you know I don't really know what the next move is a hundred percent you know I'm, I'm figuring that out day by day I think as so many people are but uh, I think just you know being okay with saying I don't necessarily have a plan I'm, I'm working on it I'm working on rebuilding my life the way that I think I would be most happy and um, 
and just kind of taking it from there. Yeah, having some trust in the universe a little bit by putting putting things out there and, and, and trusting that what I put out there is going to come back. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love everything you said because I feel like, again, I think so many people went through the same kind of thing that even though COVID is a huge tragedy, I think for a lot of people that was the silver lining. Like they got to kind of reorganize and redefine themselves because I guess my question to you is, do you think that if it wasn't for those circumstances that you would have kept going on, on autopilot and you, you would have kept avoiding those, the things that you were avoiding a little longer? Like, what do you think, like, what, like, do you think this is something that was meant to happen because otherwise you wouldn't have had this, this, or it wouldn't have come as quickly this, this opportunity to reflect on yourself? 100%. Um, if this pandemic would have never happened, I would have kept on the grind. Um, I would have continued to be unhappy, um, depleted, um, you know, just showing up for everybody else while my cup was empty. That would have continued for sure. And um, with this opportunity to slow down, to uh, to have time and, and space, I was able to explore another part of myself, which is, you know, getting involved with the community and actually being able to help somebody and, and, you know, putting an emphasis on something else other than myself and my, you know, personal dramas and, you know, that the pandemic created space for uh, for a lot of good and a lot of change in my life. Um, yeah. For that, I'm really grateful. Yeah, yeah, no, I think I think that's so amazing. Um, I definitely could relate to it in the sense that even myself, like I was because I'm in school and because I also work in Manhattan. Um, or, like, whenever I would chill with my friends and be in Manhattan, I never spent time much at home in the Bronx. And I got to, like, really get to know my community in a way I think I never did. I got to connect with neighbors that I used to pass them by and not even, like, really say anything to them. Even though I've known them for years by face. And um, there's a park near my house called Fortuna Park that I've never really gotten a chance to explore. I always saw how big it was, but I'm like, oh, maybe one day. And same as you with Central Park, those walks became so pivotal to just my mental health, like just my, my wellness, my well-being, and, and it gave me a chance to stay with myself and enjoy my own company and, and get to know, like you said, who am I outside of, you know, the student, the worker, the, you know, the, the career woman I want to be. And, and I think sometimes we live so much in who we want to be in the next level and the next step that we forget to enjoy the transition stage. And, and we forget to enjoy, like, who am I now? And how can I enjoy her to the fullest while I have her? That's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, enjoy the now. Um, I feel like that's the main principle of, like, mindfulness. People talk a lot about mindfulness, and it's I feel like that's what they're getting to which is just enjoying the now you know if you're thinking about the past if you're thinking about the future like you know that's fine too but we don't live there we live in the present Absolutely. so really just enjoying the present moment and and the stages and and having faith yes absolutely and and i'm wondering too because you talked a little bit you know just talking a little bit about you know, where you come from in DR and, you know, your grandparents um, being able to bring your family here. I wonder, I have this theory that I guess I, I 
take to reapply more to myself, but I wonder if you can relate to it. I, I, I really do believe that, you know, especially with first generation students and immigrant students, um, or, or just first generation, like, you know, immigrants or, or people that were our first generation in general, um, that a lot of this need or, or this idea that we need to succeed and we need to be the best of what we're doing in this grind is kind of to compensate for, you know, I don't know if compensate is the right word, but basically because we know what our grandparents went through, we're like, I have to live up to that. Like, I have to make sure that everything that my parents or my grandparents did for me wasn't in vain. Like, I'm continuing to, to you know, um, I guess level up the family. And I, that's a very simple way to put it, but... Do you, do you understand what I mean and, and do you relate to that? Totally. I totally relate to that. Um, I think that every generation wants to do better than the last generation. And, you know, seeing the step up, seeing the step up from the way that my, you know, grandmother, hearing about the way that my grandmother grew up as a, a little girl and her struggles of, you know, them trying to get food on the table, to my mom growing up, you know, she had a rough start the first couple of years but she moved to new york uh they moved to new york when she was i think like six or seven so from there things got better for her to my childhood which was incredible you know i had a great childhood in a really comfortable home and you know not to say that we didn't struggle but um you know i was i grew up blessed as a child with both of my parents you know we've always lived in in beautiful homes and and all of that um so the kind of life that I want to provide for my family, I want it to be even more smooth for my kids. I want them to be even more well-adjusted and well-rounded and, you know, comfortable and, and all of that. So, and I think that that's, that's kind of like, that's instilled in, in us. Um, you know, I think it is a Dominican thing too, but it's instilled in us that like, you have to work hard. You know, you you have to continue to push forward. You have to be on your grind. You have to have, you know, do side hustles if you need. Do your side gigs if you need. But uh, but the goal is to continue to, to level up. And when I think about the ancestors, my ancestors from a couple of generations back, you know, we are their wildest dreams. They are probably, girl, they're probably looking at you and I right now, like, clapping their hands. <laughs> Girl, they're celebrating this conversation right now, our ancestors, mm -hmm. because, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to, you know, women of color to have an, a platform to speak on, to, you know, provide help and resources for people in, in, in our country. They didn't have that. Absolutely. So, you know, this is, this is, this is huge. We, we have so much to be, to be grateful for, but. I think yeah, we're hopefully you know we can continue moving forward and and providing a better life gen for generations moving forward, while still keeping in in mind our ancestry and our generations you know behind us. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I definitely relate to everything you said, especially the part about you know I say that all the time, so it's, it's crazy to hear you saying that. Like I am my ancestors' wildest dreams come true, and mm. I think you know sometimes that's what propels me, that's what motivates me, like, sometimes when I'm like, oh, I have so much work to do, and then I'm like, what if I come, I, like, I get to do this, like, like, my grandparents, like, you know, I come from a grandmother who has to drop out of school in the third grade to work the fiend mm -hmm. and I, I have the audacity to complain that I have to do, like, a 30-page reading, you know what I mean, or, like, 
a three-page essay or something um or, or anything that has to do with work like there's just mm-hmm. this idea of like you know like they 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 worked their lives so that I can have this luxury. But at the same time, I think one thing that I've learned throughout these last few months, I mean, it's been a year already. It's crazy. But uh, this whole new, like this year of the pandemic was, you know, to to still apply self-care in that, you know, because sometimes you get so driven with this, this is where I want to take my family and I can't complain because, you know, my mother and my ancestors, they didn't have these luxuries that you, you burn yourself out. Like, you don't know how to, you know, our, our grandparents and mothers also didn't know much about self-care. At least mine didn't, you know. They didn't understand mental health. They didn't understand, you know, prioritizing yourself and taking care of yourself in order to be able to take care of others. In fact, we come from a culture where, like, especially as a woman, you have to prioritize everybody around you before before you can even think about yourself you know what i'm saying everybody else has to eat before you can eat and we have to kind of you know break that cycle in a way yeah absolutely yeah i i agree with that um you know i see that in my own family which is like you said the women eat last you know are the are the husbands you know prepared do they have everything that they need are the kids good you know, and then, and then come the women. Um, so I think that we, you're absolutely right. Just that's, that's what I love about our generation. Um, now is I feel like there is, there is a much greater emphasis on self-care and, you know, self-care is not just going to the salon, getting your hair done or getting your nails done. Um, you know, self-care, whether it's slowing down and, you know, reading a chapter of the book that you enjoy or you know getting to journal or going for those walks that you feel you know you and I feel like are so therapeutic or you know trying something new for yourself like pulling out a canvas and some paints and you know getting creative for an hour and um not answering the phone is self-care you know declining a call putting your phone on do not disturb is self-care and um, I love that our, our generation is placing an emphasis on self-care and on, on mental health awareness as well. Like, people, I feel like, are so much more open to talking about their anxiety, you know? Like, let's normalize anxiety. Anxiety is really normal. I think most people are anxious, you know, to some certain extent or can relate with that. Um, you know, let's normalize depression. I think that a lot of people go through bouts of depression, whether it be seasonal or, you know, just a low point of their life let's normalize um you know having a counselor or a therapist to talk to about that you know uh, our culture is really big on if you have a problem you know pray it pray it out pray it away or or you know let's make some coffee and, and talk to your yeah. girlfriends about it. that's the therapist is your the potential with your girlfriends and i i get that too trust me that. <laughs> That is a form as well, you know, but um, but there's other options out there that um, that if people were just willing to give it a chance, I think that um, it would be really beneficial for a lot of, of our people, you know, especially. Absolutely, yeah. I think like, there's a holistic approach to it. Like, I always, me and my mom, you know, we used to get into it, but now I think she's being more receptive about it. Or I have to tell her, like, mom, like, mental health isn't just praying it and talking to a priest. Like, mental health is doing that, but also talking to a therapist, like, talking to a professional and 
you know, they're, they're, I always see health in a multi-faceted, multi-layered kind of way where, you know, I always say, like, when I'm investing in my health, I'm investing in my uh, mental health and my emotional health and my spiritual health and in my emotional health, right? And they're all interconnected. If I'm not good spiritually, I can't be good mentally or emotionally. And that's probably going to affect my physical because I'm not going to want to get up, I'm not going to want to take a walk, I'm not going to want to be active, etc. Um, so I think, you know, praying and, and meditating or whatever, you know, you do to, to nourish yourself spiritually, that's one aspect of yourself. You still have to feed everything else in order to be healthy, like healthy overall, you know. And I, that's definitely something that I, you know, speak about with my mom. At first, you know, I, 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 I've, I've learned to understand where she comes from, where, you know, at first she was very, like, no, no, that's that's a good generation because they're strong. They're just inventing You know what I mean? Like, like, right, they weren't allowed to be depressed in in their generation, sis. Neither were you know. My grandma was not allowed to be depressed. <laughs> she no, had too much. Not at all. <laughs> not. I mean, and, and and I get it. Like they also look at you like, what are you depressed about? Like you know, I remember one time when I was. I was like 19 and I was going through definitely a hard time and, and I was depressed myself and I told my dad like oh dad you know I'm, I'm feeling very depressed and it was the first time that like it was a big deal to me like me talking about my mental health with, with my parents so and my dad has always been the calmer one so I'm like oh dad you know I'm depressed and he just looked at me like mad serious and he was like just don't think about it and then like what and I'm like <laughs> And I forgot about it now, but I'm like, but this is really how they were raised. Like, they that's what they were taught. Like, don't think about it. Talk talk to God. And, and most of the time, the re- I, I, I'm guessing the reason that their parents probably told them that was because they didn't know how to deal with that. So they were like, I don't, I don't know how to help you. Go talk to God. I don't, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you were depressed, you didn't have enough chores. Like, okay, you know, like you obviously in your life, <laughs> that'll take the depression. I don't know. Oh, wait. Oh my God. Um, and is your dad, like, if you were to have that same conversation with him today, do you think he would, he would give you that same, uh, answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me tell you something. My, my father, I mean, I think also just talking about the masculinity in VR, that's a whole other level, right? Like, I think men in, in our culture just aren't allowed to, to process their emotions, and I think they do so sometimes in, in toxic ways. Like, I really do believe that, you know, we, we come from a I'm not going to generalize and say all Dominican men, but we definitely come from a culture where verbal, emotional, and even sometimes physical abuse is normalized, um, especially back then. Um, and I, I really do believe that a lot of it because they, they don't know what to do with a lot of their own pain. So they turn it into this aggressiveness and this anger and this need to, to be, you know, the man, the man of the house, alone la casa, you know, and it's because they, they're trying to validate themselves, which I think at its core does touch on what we're talking about, mental health. If you don't work on yourself, if you don't um, learn how to process your emotions, you, 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 you try to compensate in other ways and you use your ego a lot of the times to compensate. So with my father, um, he was growing, he was, he was, he was raised in that mentality and he never used to want to talk about his childhood, but eventually when, you know, I learned more about his childhood, you know, dad abandoned him, mother wasn't ever there, was raised by, you know, people in the barrio. you, you kind of realize like, oh, you know, Bueno, mm-hmm. like, of course. I mean, like, 
you know, and, and he probably didn't allow himself to be depressed. So, so this is that advice. I like when he said it. I really did think to myself, like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Like that, like <laughs> I was like, what the? Like that is the dumbest shit ever. But now looking back in hindsight, I think like that's what that's the best advice he had. That was really him trying to help me. Whether he did help me, yeah. But it was his intention, like me, had. Don't think about it because that's how I was able to overcome Aww. everything, you know? Yeah. That's hard. And that makes you kind of like, like you said, think about his upbringing and his childhood and, you know, what kind of emotional support do you think they were, he was able to receive at, at, as a child? So that kind of puts it in perspective. But, um, you know, I just, I know that when it comes time for that next generation, for you, like, you're going to have different advice to give, and, and that's with a little bit more of a, a wide lens on, on a lot of kind of emotional issues. So that's, that's super dope, um, you know, and I think it's, it's great. You are so young and um, so knowledgeable on a lot of, like, these mental health and social, you know, justice um, topics and you have a beautiful platform here um, an opportunity and a gift to really kind of spread that message um, and I, I just commend you girl you you're doing great things so thank congrats you. on that yeah congrats thank you no thank, thank you that that really means a lot um, I think you know like you said our generation where we're the I call it the birth generation because we're bridging that gap between all these other generations but we're also the healing generation. We're healing ourselves. We're healing the lineage. We're healing our descendants without them even realizing. And I and I do believe that we're healing our parents just just by having these these conversations with them. Just by allowing them to know that you know it's okay. Like it's okay to, to not be okay, and and it's okay to to you know be vulnerable. Um, and I also like to think that you know we're healing our ancestors. They they went through trauma that we couldn't. We couldn't like we would we would not be able to ever fathom, and I do want to believe just like you said that they're probably proud looking at us like you know having this conversation and doing our thing. I do believe that in a lot of ways when we heal, we're healing them, we're healing their wounds, we're healing wounds that we inherited and wounds that maybe they didn't have the resources to heal, but just seeing us be able to you know feel better, it's like I feel like it brings them closure, you know, in my heart, in my deepest, in the deepest parts of my heart, I really genuinely feel that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're right on with that. You are so spot on with that. And I am in total agreement with you about um, how healing yourself and working on yourself, doing healing work, it heals, it heals your, your lineage. It for sure is healing. Um, your ancestors as well, I think on a spiritual level. So that's, that's, that's really on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and again, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I think you're, 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 you're a healer in your own way. And I don't know, like Sophia, I, I'm, I know that, you know, we don't know each other that well personally, but just hearing your story, I, I generally have this feeling that this is just a new beginning for you. And I'm sure you know that, like, but just, something in me really feels like, you know, you're in this transitional space where you're really just starting to scratch the surface of who you are and, and the women that you're becoming and the women that you're meeting, like, within yourself. Um, and not only because of the work that you're doing, but just this this growth that's happening around you and within you. So kudos to you. I, I commend you for that because not everybody 
is open to that, you know? Oh my god, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that, girl. And like you said, we just met. But um, I feel like we're on the same page with a lot. Um, so I, I hope this is like the beginning of of a friendship with, uh, between us. Um, who knows, working relationship. I know that we kind of are like-minded with some of our goals in terms of wanting to give back to to the people of DR. Um, you have your amazing drive going on right now, um, the Seval Drive for... Um, for school supplies and, and, and necessities for your, your folks in the Cibao, which that's where my dad lives. He lives in Bonao. Oh, um, me too. Shout out to him. Girl, okay. Oh. We have a whole Bonao crew in, in Tonce. So, um, yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, I do want to thank you so much again for coming to this podcast. I am going to ask you, you know, our three closing questions that we ask everybody. Um, yeah, but, but before I do that, I just want to thank you again for, for taking the time to come and to really uh, open up about your story and, and also, you know, bring awareness again to the familia. I, I believe it's Guzman that you said that their name is. Like, it's a, to the yeah. family of 15 years. So thank you for bringing awareness to them and what's happening in DR. Um, and thank you for the work that you're doing. And believe it or not, just with your story, you probably healed somebody. Somebody's probably in that place where they're stuck in their career and they don't, you know, they're afraid of, like, what's next. And you've probably given somebody the courage to do that inner work, to know that they are more than their career or their accomplishments. So I do want to thank you for that. Aw, thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, okay, so normally I end the, the podcast asking, you know, um, how are you breaking cycles in your life? So you kind of you touched upon it a lot um, throughout the conversation, which was amazing. But maybe just, you know, um, in a sentence or two, how, what's your biggest, like, well, how would you say that is the biggest way that you're breaking cycles in your life? Um, I would say you know, not necessarily following those societal norms that tell us that we need to be at a certain place by a certain age. You know, um, I want to be married by 30. I, I, I should have two kids by 30. I should have be a homeowner and a business owner and, you know, have all of these things by a certain age. Um, you know, just breaking out of that cycle and knowing that what is coming for me and, and, and what is for me is, is, is on God's timing. So I, I'm not in control of that plan and that timeline, and that's okay. And, you know, I might not be in the place in my life that I thought I would be in, um, but that's, that's okay because, you know, who's setting these societal norms? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um... I am trying to break the cycle by um, finding worth and value in myself outside of my career. Um, finding worth and value because of the person that I am for qualities that are not, you know, maybe you're, are, you can't write down on paper, you know, qualities like being a good person, being compassionate, being kind. Um, giving back to other people, my artistic side, you know, these are all things that I am now finding value and worth in, and, and it's really building my self-worth. Um, 
you know, talking about the mental health struggles that, that I've gone through or that my family's gone through and, and being okay with asking for help and being okay with, you know, recommending therapy to, to the people that I love and, um, you know, trying to find healthier ways to heal um, outside of, you know, let's say drinking or smoking, partying, whatever, whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, just being okay with saying, I'm a work in progress and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out right now. Yeah. I don't have it all together. I know that's, that's, it's, it's coming together. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, my second question for you would be, what advice would you give to the Sophia of 10 years ago? Or what would you tell her? Or even five years ago, if, if you don't want to think that far. Sophia, five years ago, um, I would just tell her, I would tell Sophia five years ago, um, you can do it. Um, just believe in yourself. And, um, You know, all of those doubts that you have are placed there because of you. You know, I'm, I'm, the Sophia at that age had a lot of doubt about herself and, and that was caused by my own, my own mental. Um, so I would just tell her, just believe in yourself, girl. You're going to get there. You're going to get there. You are going to climb the places that you, you know, didn't even imagine. Um, and have opportunities that you, you would have never even imagined would have, would have, would have come to you. So um, I would tell her to say yes more. I would tell her to not be afraid of the unknown and to, uh, to really just believe in, in herself. I love that. That's so dope. I feel like even though you're talking to Sophia from five years ago, I'm like her taking months and I was like, don't let me believe in yourself. Yes, you can. Um, say yes more. <laughs> so thank I'm you. I'm telling you to Sophia today as well. Yeah, just to be clear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's valuable advice. And, and it's one of those things that you have to keep reminding yourself in every stage of your life that you get into. So thank you. Um, my final question is, you know, for anybody... You, you've dropped so many gems, so much gold, so much gold has been dropped in this interview, so thank you. Um, what advice would you give to anybody, any listener that's listening right now that um, wants to break cycles in their life, somebody who's trying to break cycles in their life, what advice would you give them? I would say to be gentle with yourself and have grace with yourself. Um... And if you, you know, try to break a cycle and you have a goal and you, you know, you fall down, keep trying to pick yourself back up. Um, it's a process. Sometimes it's a lifelong process, um, a battle with yourself. But, um, but just don't give up, you know, and be kind with yourself along the way because there's a lot of uh, judgment out there in the world and there's a lot of people that, you know, may have bad things to say and, and all of that. You could, like, we get enough of that from the outside world. You know, just try to at least give yourself a little bit of that love and grace and kindness um, and allow allow yourself some time to, to get there. Because you'll get there. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Sofia Rosario, thank you so much again. That was, uh, that was a great way to end it. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 
really quick, um, just so, you know, in case people missed it uh, or need to hear it again, can you just please let everybody know uh, the Instagram that they can follow to support um, your African VR as well as your, Insta your Instagram if you feel comfortable if people want to know more about you and the work that you do? Of course, of course. Um, so the, um, the Instagram for the Feeding Family of 15 project, um, it's called Feeding Families underscore DR. Um, I'm happy to share my personal Insta as well. Um, it is Soph with the most. Um, S-O-P-H with the, which is T-H-A, most. Soph with the most. Period. Period. Love it. Love it. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love Soph with the most. Like, it, it's, just, it's so sassy. I love it. Um, <laughs> no, thank you, and and thank you again for joining this episode. This was a great way to end the season. This was a great conversation. I've genuinely enjoyed this conversation so much. So thank, thank you, you again. Me too. Thank you. Thanks for having me, girl.